That was quick. Oh, so maybe some of you guys have uh, felt this way. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyways. I don't get it. Without becoming a Christian would keep me from thinking wrong things, doing wrong things, but now it's like all I see is the bad I do. I want to do the right thing, but keep screwing it up. I'm a terrible person, and I need some help. Is there anyone who can help me? Anybody feel that from time to time? All right, six of you are being honest with me. That's good. Um, the rest of you are like, no, Harold, I don't understand that at all, because... I do pretty well in my life. Um, well, you might be familiar with those verses. That was from uh, Harold Bjerg, a paraphrase. Heraldus Bjergamus, uh, paraphrase. I'm writing my own Bible, taking out all the convicting parts. <laughs> like James won't be in there, stuff like that. All those convicting ones won't be in there. I'm kidding. Don't go out of here saying, oh, pastor's rewriting the Bible. Well, you might be familiar with those. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, probably, if we can say it this way, the greatest Christian who ever lived. I think we could say that, right? Obviously, not greater than Jesus, but Jesus is Christ, so he would be a Christian. Um, and so it's good to know that even Paul struggled with this. In fact, his version of it, the inspired version, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? Even Paul struggled with this fact that I, I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm struggling with living that way, doing life God's way. What we're going to be doing in the next four weeks or so is we're going to sit in Romans chapter 8. We're going to mine out of that everything we can to understand how do we do life God's way and the Holy Spirit's responsibility and role in making that happen. This morning we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 11, so you can turn uh, to that if you want on your phone or in your Bible, and, and I didn't check the page number in the book or in the Bible there in the chair, so if someone's using that Bible and you find it, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, yell it out to me, or 1131, wow, that was quick, must be the pastor's wife working on it. So what we're going to see here is... Uh, Two things, and we're going to see that, first of all, faith in Christ, through faith in Christ, we have freedom from sin's penalty, and through faith in the Holy Spirit, we have freedom from sin's power, okay? Um, so, when it comes to sin's penalty, um, which is an eternity in hell separated from God because of our sin, Jesus Christ has done something, died on the cross, died our eternal death, rose again, and it's through faith in that, through putting my full weight of trust on him and what he's done, that God says, Harold, you're not guilty of your sins, past, present, and future. Harold, you are forgiven of your sins. You're a follower of mine now. You are part of my family. And God is allowed to adopt me in, and we're going to be talking about that. But once we're saved... The, the, uh, I don't want to say this incorrectly, but the, the focus shifts a little bit. And instead of putting our faith in Christ for salvation, because that's a one-time event, that happens, 
right? You put your faith in Christ, boom, you're spiritually reborn. Just like you can't be physically reborn, and it only happens once. You're spiritually reborn. But then to live the life that God has for us, to accomplish the purposes that he has for us, to do life the best way that life could be ever lived, which is God's way, now we take our full weight of trust and we place it into the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so that's what we want to be talking about this morning. So follow along as I read verses uh, 1 through 11. There you go. Did I miss something? Don, I apologize if I didn't. Yeah. So, verses 1 through 11. It says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. So, the law couldn't do something for us. Only God could do something for us. What did he do? Sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh as a man, 100% human, 100% God, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law, perfection, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And talking about earthly stuff, human stuff, human thinking and reasoning and responding. But those who are according to the Spirit, God's way of thinking, God's way of doing life, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh. In other words, so he's talking to Christians here. Hey, Christians, remember this. You're not in the flesh. You're not operating in that earthly manner anymore. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, doesn't belong to Christ and to God. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Our, our, our spirit is given spiritual life through the Holy Spirit. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does if you are a follower of Christ, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, which by the way, if you study this out, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus himself raised himself from the dead, and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus. All three persons of God, the Trinity, were involved. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. So again, pretty cool that all three persons of the Trinity are involved. So God has Paul tell us that, first of all, Jesus made it possible for us to be freed from sin's penalty there's no condemnation, condemnation for those that are in Christ. Now, we've hit this quite, uh, quite a lot in the last series even, even though we're talking about end times, end events. We talked a lot about salvation and need to know Christ. But no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And what Paul, 
Paul has been summarizing in his entire letter, especially 3, 5, and 6, as he leads up to this, he's giving us this case for why it is we are condemned. What is it about us that makes us condemned to an eternity in hell? Which again, that's bad news, but it's, it's truth. And we have to know the truth in order to be set free from our problems. And so Romans 3.23, some of you guys might recognize these verses. Some of you have been raised in the church. Um, we call this the Romans Road, you know. So Romans 3.23, all have sinned. No one's good enough. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Glory of God, perfection. None of us are perfect. Some of you are thinking, I don't know, Harold, have you seen my life? None of us are perfect. We're all a mess, people. Okay? So that should be a good thing for all of us to know, that we're all in the same boat here. We're all screwed up. Isn't that wonderful? So um, hug each other with that one if you need to, whatever. But we've all sinned. Romans 5, 8, and 10, again, you can look at these verses when you get home. Those verses, God tells us, that prior to coming to Christ, in, in and of ourselves, when God sees us, he says, you're a sinner, you've broken my laws, and because of that, you're actually an enemy of mine. Now, none of us want to be an enemy of God, right? And so what we'll do is, oh, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, I feel like God and I, we're, we're good. You know, I, I, I like him, I like the concept of a God. Uh, you know, I pray to him when I'm in trouble, you know. God helps those who help themselves. I can even come up with some good Christian phrases. They're not really biblical, but, um, but, the, but the truth of the matter is God looks at us and says, no, sadly you're not. You're a sinner. You're an enemy of mine. And in, in spite of that, despite the fact that we are enemies of God, God the Son puts on flesh, and he dies our eternal death and hell for us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in my past, when I've had people who are enemies of mine, I have a tendency to not really want to do anything for them. Let them just kind of experience whatever. I won't even give them helpful advice because I'll let you experience life. God doesn't do that to us. God says, listen, I'm the only one who can help you and I'm willing because I love you in spite of your response to me, I'm going to die for you. And so he sends God the Son in the flesh because, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What we earn by living life our way, which is contrary to how God wants us to live, by thinking contrary to the way God wants us to think even, doesn't have to be an action, just the way we think, an attitude that's off, we, unfortunately, will spend eternity in hell. But then Romans 10, past Romans 8, of course, but Romans 10, if we confess our need for Jesus, if we believe that we need God's forgiveness and that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we just need to tell God that. I believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins and that you, you were raised the third day and you defeated sin and death and you did it for me and I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me my sins. Boom, saved. Spiritual life given. Holy Spirit put into your life, into my life. I did that when I was four years old, by the way. Um, and, and why is that? Because the law, and Paul's talking about the, the Jewish law. Paul's talking about the law 
that God, so get this, God gave Moses a law for Israel to follow. Civil and religious. It's the only nation that's actually a civil, religious, you're Jewish by religion and Jewish by nationality. So God gave a law. Other people have made religious laws as well. So a lot of even Christian churches, people who say they're Christians, uh, they have a bunch of do's and don'ts that you have to do in order to be saved. So whether it's that or even God's law that he gave to Israel, okay, can't remove that sin and give you spiritual life. Why? It wasn't meant to do it. This, this should just free us up big time, you guys. The law isn't given to free us. Its purpose was to point out sin to us. That's what laws do. In fact, look at what Galatians says. Paul says this in, in Galatians. There you go. It says, therefore, the law, what he was just talking about, has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so we may be justified by faith, declared not guilty. That's what I put that parenthesis in there. That's not inspired. But justified means to be declared not guilty. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So we find our, we find our faith, we find our salvation, we find our forgiveness of sins and our spiritual life through God, not through the law. I mean, just think about it this way. Anybody ever been pulled over by a police officer driving down the road because you were doing a great job driving? Greg, yeah. yeah. Well, Mr. Hart, I just want to tell you, way to go driving 35 miles an hour when it really should be 45. Now, police don't pull us over for that, right? You don't get brought into court so the judge can say, hey, way to go, Harold. You've done a great job obeying all the laws. That's not what a law is for. God's law wasn't for that either, even though Israel thought so. And a lot of Christians who have set up a lot of different laws think so. But those who receive God's gift of salvation, he declares not guilty of our sin, past, present, and future, by simply believing that Jesus died for us. So Jesus frees us from sin's penalty. It's a judgment that will never be reversed. Once, if, you are, if you've truly made the decision and you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you were genuinely asking God to forgive you of your sins, that's kind of the key thing. That judgment that God's made of you not being guilty anymore, that stays, your record is clean in a positional sense before him. You never lose that relationship. You're never kicked out of God's family. In fact, because one of the reasons why is because he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And this chapter 8 tells us what the Holy Spirit, his power and the purpose in, his, in our lives is. So he gives us freedom from sin's power in our lives, which is what we're going to be talking about. He's given as an agent of, agent of adoption into God's family. So these other Four or so, we're going to be talking about those over the next few weeks. So God's Holy Spirit is put into us, and that adopts us into his family. We're a child of God. He's given us confirmation of God's relationship with us. Huge ramifications here, you guys. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, well, I'm not really sure I'm a child of God. 
Two things are potentials there. Only two things. One is, you never truly accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord. Or, you, you did, but you've never really furthered that relationship. You've never initiated the things that are necessary in your life in order to develop and grow and understand and sense that confirmation of a relationship with him. For he's given, uh, given to us to pray for us and to make sure God's will is accomplished. So what God calls us to do, his Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do it. Pretty cool. And then not only that, but it says if you don't know how to pray, he prays for us. That's pretty cool, right? And then five, he's given to make sure nothing separates us from Jesus Christ. It's secure. It's set in stone. He is our guarantee. He will, he will take our spirit to heaven one day to make sure that we get there. So this morning, what I want to do is the rest of the time, I want to talk about this being freed from sin's power. And I want to answer three questions. I want to answer, why do I need the Holy Spirit? How can I tell if I'm thinking God's way or my way? That's kind of a key element here. Then how do I make sure the Holy Spirit wins? Because there's a, as we find out for why do I need this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in my life, there's a spiritual battle going on. Prior to Christ coming into your life, in my life, we were sinners. All we could do is sin. Even when we did good things, it was considered sin by God. I mean, why, why would that be the case? Because most of the time, or almost every time, especially if a person believes that there's something after life, um, even those who believe in reincarnation believe there's something after this life, they're doing the good for themselves. So they're helping you guys out, holding the door for you, paying your bill at, at the restaurant, uh, coming over and helping you on something in your house, whatever. They're doing good things for themselves. That's selfishness. That's sin. So even our good works, when we do it in our own strength and for ourselves, God says, that's sin. It's selfishness. Then we give our lives to Christ. Now God's Holy Spirit is in us. Now there's a battle. Because even though I'm in the flesh still, there's sin here. I still have a struggle with thinking the way I want to think, doing what I want to do. I, I want to follow my desires and my urges and how I think I should respond to life. But now my spirit is alive because the Holy Spirit has made me alive. He's living in me, in a sense, in my life. He's with me. And he's saying, no, Harold, that's, that's the wrong way to think. It's, you know, the old tapping me on the shoulder, or in my case, a two-by-four across the back of the head. You're not thinking clearly. So there's a spiritual battle, Holy Spirit versus our flesh. It's between God's way and our way. He's given to us to conform us through conviction. And we'll be talking more about this. Uh, Romans 8.29 talks about being conformed to the image of Christ. What does that mean? God is trying to get us to think more like Jesus and to act more like Jesus to accomplish the things that God has for us in this earth. Our lives are no longer ours, it's his. And so he wants to accomplish some things in our lives. So he's trying to get us to think that way. He's trying to get us to act that way. And so he's conforming us into the image of Christ. And how does he do that? Well, one of the ways he does it is through conviction. When we do something wrong, we're like, ah, oh, shoot, I did it again. I've been, I've been working at this, and I, I did it again. 
Listen, please understand this. Conviction is good. We want to beat ourselves up about it. Believe me, I'm that kind of person. If I do something wrong, I start beating myself up about it. There's no need to beat ourselves up about it. What we need to do is, okay, God, I understand that I'm wrong. I screwed up. Please forgive me. Relationship is still there. Now I'm just restoring the relationship, that intimacy. You guys who have raised kids, you understand this, right? Everything's good and great with your kids and all warm and fuzzy and lovey-dovey and all that kind of stuff, and then your kid decides to disobey you. You still love them. You haven't kicked them out of the family, right? But there's a little, there's something, right? There's something that's got to be taken care of here. There's a little bit of something, something that we're not as intimate. Things aren't as wonderful. And until a child confesses that and gets things right back with the parent, that intimacy is not restored. Not realizing that, not experiencing conviction, means one of two things. One, you really don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, and therefore you really never did accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You might have just been going through emotions, an emotional experience you had, whatever. And I've seen all of that happen. Or, you are, but you're just going to stand your ground on this one, and you're going to harden, what eventually happens is you harden yourself against God. You harden your heart against God, and you get in this position of, I'm not going to move. Here's the, here's the, the difficult part of that situation. Um, Ellie, you can talk, you can talk about Ellie because she's not in here. Um, Ellie is our spitfire. And uh, the other two, we look at them wrong. And <laughs> Sorry, Dad. You know. Ellie, a whole other story. So there would be defiance, and we would have to, do, have to get pretty firm with her in order to break her of that. And ultimately, thank the Lord, he broke her of that defiance for the most part. In any case, Justin's got to deal with her anyways. But anyways, <laughs> I'm moving on. Um, take that out of the podcast, would you? Um, God is 100% committed to your being conformed to the image of Christ. He loves you too much to let you stand there in an attitude of defiance against him because he knows what we're going to be talking about here in a little while. You're going to destroy your life and the lives of people around you. He loves you too much for that because the best life for you is a life that's connected with God, doing life God's way. And he will do something. Scripture talks about disciplining. He will discipline his children. And he'll do stuff in your life, maybe just simply allow you to go down that road and experience the consequences of what you're doing. But whatever the case, he's going to allow it to happen. He's going to discipline you in order to bring you back because he cares too much. Just like our kids, we don't want our kids to continue down a bad road, right? Don't we stop them from running into the street? We don't go, oh, you're running into the street. Have fun! (laughs) Like we saw last week, Orca, you know, swimming alongside 579, right? Hey, you got to be here every week to catch these humorous jokes, people. Obviously, none of you were here last week to see Orca on 579. Everybody is struggling with something. So here's what I want to do. I want to answer this next question. So again, we're all messed up, right? 
Okay. Nobody's messed up. So Harold, this is for you. <laughs> so we're all messed up. Everyone is struggling with something. It may be um, a struggle with the way we think. We're, we're kind of uh, geared towards being negative people. Um, so therefore, we kind of maybe tend towards being depressed. Um, some of us may be perfectionists and realize nothing is perfect. So that kind of tends us towards depression. You know, we're, we're perfectionists, and so things aren't perfect. And so then we get frustrated with that. And so now we're dealing with frustration. And maybe it's a, a relationship. Maybe we're struggling in our marriages, struggling with our kids, struggling with our parents, struggling with people at work, struggling with family members, whatever it is. We're all struggling with something in our lives. And so, if you're a follower of Christ, you now have a choice. You can do life God's way, or you can do life your way. You can think the way you want to think, or you can think the way God wants you to think, and then respond, of course, that way. So in 5 through 11, Paul takes us through what that would look like, which I thought was kind of helpful to put in a chart form for you. So, if you're thinking in the flesh, if, if you're going through a struggle and you're dealing with the issues that you're dealing with and you're doing it according to the way you think or, or the, uh, the way you think you should respond and you're responding that way, what you're doing is, first of all, you're looking to yourself for how you should live and respond. You're, you're looking at, let's see, how did I do that? Or how did my parents do that? Or what's Dr. Phil say? Or what's you know, Oprah Winfrey say? Or what, you know, whatever. You're looking to somebody else some other expert, how should I think? How should I respond? To continue doing that brings death. <laughs> you get like, oh, wait, wait, Harold. That's crazy. Someone's going to die? Not saying that. I don't think Scripture is really saying that at this point. Because in life, how we respond breathes life into situations and people, or brings breathes death into situations or people, is what he's saying. When we respond the way we want to respond, we're responding in ourselves, out of our own um, power, out of our own thinking. When we do that, the Bible says that's sin. Sin is death. So if we start, if we're dealing with our thought lives and we're responding to our thought lives the way we think we should do, our thought lives will continue to go down the wrong road and never be healed up. I don't care what secular doctors say. I don't care what um, your best friend as you're drinking coffee says. If you're going to think incorrectly and continue to think incorrectly, you're going to find yourself killing yourself emotionally. It doesn't work. Christians especially, we should understand it doesn't work. If we're responding to our spouse or to our children or children to parents or to our boss or to, if we're a boss to our employees, if we're responding the way we want to do that, it's going to continue to deteriorate the relationship. You can just look at your relationships and tell that. You can evaluate and say, okay, I've been doing this a certain way, is my relationship with this person getting better? And if it's not getting better, you're doing it wrong. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Can we just be bluntly honest? I don't have to tiptoe around things anymore, right? I don't have to beat around the bush with you guys. 
We destroy things when we respond our way. It happens every time. Then we're hostile to God. We put ourselves like a, like a disobedient child who's going to stand his position. I'm going to do it my way, Dad. We stand in hostility to God. And we're one of his children. But if we want to do it our way, so how, is that relation, how do you feel about your relationship with God? Do, do you sense an intimacy with God? Go back. We're not able to obey God. Can't serve two masters, right? So if you do it your way, you're going to do it your way. You can't do it your way in God's way. doesn't make sense. So you're going to not obey God, and you can't please God. God's not pleased with that. Again, not talking about salvation here. We're already saved. But don't we want to please our Father? Makes sense, right? especially the one who died for us. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Don, go back to James. I made, my, I made a mistake here. Thanks, Don. It's James chapter 1. You might be familiar with this verse. This is interesting. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of God does, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Anybody heard that verse before? Anybody quote that verse to somebody before? What's the, what's the typical way we use that? Human to human, right? Hey, hey, hey. Do you know the context is in our response to God's word? Think about that. He goes on to talk about, don't be just a hearer, but be a doer. But everyone must be quick to hear what God says. Slow to speak. Don't tell God what you think you should be doing. And slow to anger. Sometimes we hear what God's word says and we don't want to do it. We get irritated with God. Come on, God. Really? That is so crazy. Can I just say this again without hurting anyone's feelings? God's way is totally different than our way. That's why our way screws up and his way doesn't. (laughs) Why wouldn't we want to use the best way to respond to a situation. Well, in comparison, i gotta got to move on. I'm starting to preach here. So go to the next one, if you would, please, Don. Thinking in response, thinking and responding in the Spirit. So how does life look? So now you're going to evaluate your life again. If your life has been going in a fleshly way, in a way of death and deterioration and not working... You don't want a normal, logical person would want, not want to stay over here and, and let things continue to deteriorate, right? But if you're thinking in the spirit, God's way, you're looking to God for how you should think and how you should respond. And, let, and I'll say it again: God's way is completely opposite than the way the world's going to tell you to do it, or the way you think you should do it when thinking in yourself. It has to be completely opposite because it works. Our way never works. It brings life and peace. If we're doing life God's way, that means our thinking are moving towards God's way of thinking. We're thinking more clearly. We're making better decisions. 
And then we see life being breathed into other relationships. If it's a relationship issue, relationships are getting better. Now, it might happen slowly. Sometimes you may not see it initially. But that relationship is, going, is getting better. If nothing else, you are responding better, and God loves that. But better to respond his way towards somebody and then pray for them to see that and him to be able to bless you because of you're doing it his way. And so there's life and peace. The great thing about peace is that it, it takes the conflict. So like when I'm really messed up in my head about stuff, I get into the Bible and I start reading. And I start asking God, give me peace. Turn the anxiety down so I can think clearly. That's what peace is, hap- is doing. It's calming the tension in a relationship. We're arguing, fighting, and then all of a sudden, boom, nope, nope. I, Lord, give me the response that I need right now. And just Maybe it's to shut up. Maybe it's to give him a hug. Maybe it's to just whatever. And all of a sudden, poof, tension dies down. So that maybe communication can happen. Maybe then, maybe a little bit later. But you calm the situation. You bring peace. You're at peace with God. As opposed to being hostile, you're at peace. God can speak to you. You can, you can communicate with Him. And you can chat and He's talking to you as you're reading Scripture. And you're praying back and you're having this conversation. It's open. You're maybe crying your eyes out, whatever the case. But there's peace there. There's, there's confidence. There's, oh man, yeah, God, I know that you're here. I get it. I'm understanding that. Thank you so much. And there's this thankfulness and there's this Wow! Even in the midst of a difficult time, you're praying and you're sensing God's presence and you're maybe even beginning to think, okay, here's how I need to respond based on my time with the Lord. Again, these are kind of obvious, but you're able to obey. Why? We're going to be talking about that because the Holy Spirit's going to give you the power to do that. And then it pleases God, um, which is kind of a logical conclusion. Well, let me give you some takeaways as we answer this third question. How do I make sure that the Holy Spirit wins? (laughs) How do I give myself over to the Holy Spirit's power, if you want to put it that way? The first one is this. That first you need to make sure that you've had the penalty of sin. Abracadabra. Okay, I thought maybe I had to do that. So, We must let Jesus free us from sin's penalty. In other words, you need to make sure that you have a relationship with Christ. That's that's where it starts, because that relationship initiates the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. Okay? So here's what I want to do. Do something a little bit different this morning. Um, So everybody close your eyes, uh, bow your heads, and I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to say, if you're here this morning, and you know for a fact that you don't have a relationship with Christ, or you're not really sure now after hearing what God's Word says if you do or not. And if you want to accept Christ this morning, just raise your hand for me. Okay. Anybody else? I don't want to pressure you. I don't want to push you. But I'll give you an opportunity because this is the most important decision. This, this changes the trajectory of your entire life and eternity. No longer going to hell, but going to heaven. And here on earth, God taking you through all your situations. So, for the individual, raise your hand. Let me just talk to you. Just keep your eyes closed. Everyone keep your eyes closed. Heads bowed. But let me lead you in a prayer. 
Again, not that the prayer saves you, but this is your heart to God's heart. I'm just kind of leading you and helping you with that. And just simply pray this. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm separated from God. And that my judgment is eternity in hell. But I also know and believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I'm trusting that Jesus saved me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for adopting me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your eyes closed, heads bowed. Just say this. Whether it was a person who raised their hand or somebody maybe didn't, but prayed that prayer. Stop by the information center. We've got a little bag there for you. A little has our logo on it and has some helpful information to get things going. But also, I'd love to hear from you and, and find out more about what God's doing with you. Okay, go ahead and bow. I mean, lift your heads, lift your eyes, do whatever, stay asleep, whatever you're doing right now. But a couple more things. Now, for, for all of us who are followers of Christ, including the one who uh, just prayed except Christ, which is awesome, okay? Um, yeah, there you go. It's awesome. We must read and study the Bible. This is non-negotiable. I've said this before. You eat food, right? Some of us a little bit too much. Trying to get better at it. We can never gorge ourselves enough on God's Word. We have to be in the Bible. Why? Because if we're not in the Bible, we don't know what God's Word says, and we're we have a temptation to believe what anybody else ever says, including me. You, you guys are sitting out there and you hear me every Sunday and you guys are trusting me. And I, you know, I'm really trying to be accurate to Scripture, so understand that. But uh, you should be checking it for yourself. Is it what Harold's saying right? But a lot of times we'll just go throw on a TV, throw on a podcast, throw on, um, you know, the radio, whatever, and we listen to whatever comes because after all, it's Christian. Listen, there's people who are using God's Word to do a bunch of bad stuff. But you have to be in it. You have to know it. It's non-negotiable. So here's just some helpful things. I'm thinking, how can I help you guys do this? And by the way, I've had real, jo uh, real jobs before, you know, so I, I haven't always been a pastor. I get the tension. Okay, I'm going to step on toes. Um, I get the tension, but what we believe is important, we'll do. Will we not? If I think it's important for me to sit down and turn the TV on and watch four hours of something, I'll do it. And nobody can stop me. Ask my wife. We think it's important, we'll do it. We better think that what God, the one who died on the cross for us, has given us to read and to know, to understand Him and to do life, we better think that that's more important than watching TV at times. Most of the time. So, read. So however long it takes you to eat three meals a day. Not sure how long it might be for some of you. <laughs> read the Bible for at least that long. So maybe it takes you, you know, I don't know, 
10 minutes to eat each meal. So you have 30 minutes of eating food. Read the Bible for 30 minutes. Maybe read the Bible for 30 minutes before you go to bed. That way you have the verses in your head while you're sleeping, and that way when you start thinking about all the negative stuff going on, you can remember what you read. That's what I do. I'm just, so I'm just giving you some helpful hints. I do a lot of praying and a lot of memorizing and uh, you know, bringing back to my mind Scripture. Read as your me time, as my relaxation. You know, I always tell people, well, time to go get some coffee and some me time, and they grab some novel. Well, grab some me time with the Bible. Why read some, you know, it may not be a trashy, you know, novel. It might even be a Christian novel. Read the Bible. What a great novel that is. Novel idea. <laughs> that just popped into my head. I probably shouldn't have said it. Sometimes jokes should stay where they should be. Attend Sundays in Bible study for deeper understanding. We get deeper, especially in Bible studies. We, we pull it apart a little bit more. Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Young adults, they start at 6.30. And we're doing something a little bit different where I actually teach everybody, then we break into the two groups and we do discussion. Um, so come in and, and learn more about the Bible. In fact, one of the things I'm thinking about doing um, is starting in, in July, that uh, Thursday nights are going to be discussions over Sunday's messages. So we can really kind of wrestle with some of the concepts rather than me just talking for you know, two hours and, and sending you guys home. Yeah, if you're first-time attenders, i got another hour to go. I'm just kidding. I'll be finishing up here. I'm a little long, but I'll finish up. You must meditate on God's truth about your situation. You're going to constantly have your thoughts in your heads. You're going to constantly have friends telling you what to do. You're going to constantly, everything that's been talked to you in the past is going to constantly come into your head about what, how you should deal with your situation. And you need to fight against that by taking God's truth. That's why you need to be in the Bible, to know what God's truth is. When I'm dealing with issues in my life, when I'm struggling, you guys know this, I have a tendency to be very negative. I, I see everything that needs to be fixed. Last Sunday I was preaching, and I noticed those blinds over there were cockeyed. It was driving me nuts to the point that I forgot what I was saying. You know, a little OCD. But um, I have a tendency, just who I am, so, you know, the, the sinful part of my life. But I have to fight against the negative thoughts. How do I do that? By bringing truth from God's Word into my life. How do I do that when I'm laying in bed? I don't turn my phone on and keep myself awake. I lay there. And the verses that I've read, the verses that I've memorized, I say them over and over and over and over and over. It's called meditation. Not focusing on a candle, not making some weird sound. Not that. You don't empty your mind. You fill your mind with God's truth. We have to, you guys, we have to do this. And I can't do it for you. I've got plenty of work to do on my own. So. And last, we must pray and then respond in that order. In the heat of the moment, this is how the Holy Spirit empowers us. We've given them stuff to work with because we've been in the Bible. So we have Jesus' Word, God's Word in our minds and our hearts. Now we have something to work with. So now when we start seeing ourselves going down the wrong way of thinking or when we start sensing, oh boy, there's going to be, you know, there's, there's a battle that might be starting to happen here relationally with somebody. You pray and however you, you know, however you do it, I, you may want to pray out loud. It might freak the other person out, but Hey, before we talk, can we pray? That might freak somebody out. You might win the argument. Because um, they'll run away. No. But just, you know, Heavenly Father, just give me the words to say right now. Help me to respond appropriately. And then, in one sense, do completely opposite of what you're thinking you should do. <laughs> that makes sense. Because you, what your tendency is, you want to fight back, right? Now, Jesus didn't fight back. 
He responded appropriately. And that's what drew people to him. And what you're trying to do ultimately is you're trying to draw people to Christ through how you're responding. Because your ultimate goal is to see them come to Christ. Because now you're going to have unity in God's spirit and an ability to respond to each other on a spiritual level, not just on a completely fleshly level. You breathe life into the situation. You respond the way Christ wants you to respond. But you won't know that unless you're in God's word. Studying it, reading it. And one last thing, it's not up on the screen, but you can write this down. One of the great things, um, at least for me, that I started doing is um, when I'm reading through Psalms. So people who are going through difficult times, I'll tell them to do this. Some of you know this because I've told you. As you're reading a Psalm, go to the Old Testament, Book of Psalms, as you're reading through a Psalm, and wherever it says, God, you are my, God, you are my stronghold, God, you're my refuge, what I do is I turn it into a prayer and say, you are my refuge. You are my stronghold. I have a conversation with God using God's word, giving it back to him in a prayer that I personalize by just changing his name to you because I'm having a conversation. That makes sense. I'm telling you, God's turned down the tension in my own heart and my own mind time and time and time again so that I can begin to make decisions and, and respond appropriately to whatever situation I'm dealing with. Make sense? If it doesn't, I'd love to talk with you about it. Feel free to set up an appointment, come talk with me. Um, like I said, I'm always open for coffee, especially if you're paying. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and stand, and I'll close in prayer.